your Bibles to Jude 3. Now, if you're newer to the Bible, I think we have Bibles in the chairs underneath or look on with somebody if you don't have one. If you're newer to the Bible, how do I find Jude? The last book of the Bible is Revelation. Jude comes right before Revelation. And since it's only one chapter, when we say Jude 3, we're referring to the third verse in Jude, uh, not the third chapter in Jude. So I trust you're getting there. Again, the last book right before Revelation, the last book of the Bible, verse 3. Let me read it. Beloved, speaking to believers, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you saints contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. You know, let me just point out a few things about verse 3 there that um, really launch us and is going to have a real big piece of our morning and our series. But you know, he was getting ready to write a letter to these people regarding their common salvation, but something inside of him said, you know what, I got to put that aside Instead, I need to write about the need for you to contend earnestly. That means to struggle intensely for the faith. When the scripture talks about the faith, it's talking about the word of God, the Bible, the scriptures, which was once for all handed down to the saints. That means that one time, and never again to be done, God handed over his word into the hand of the saints. And he felt a need to change the direction of his letter for some reason, to move from writing a letter to celebrate our common salvation because it was necessary to call the believers to join into an intense battle for the truth of God's word. And I, I just want you to note one thing, just a little side note. Appeal that you contend earnestly. You know what? This isn't a call to the pastors. This isn't a call to the preacher. This isn't a call uh, to the elders. It's a call to all of us. This is something that every believer is called to, is to enter into this intense struggle for the truth of God's word. Then he tells us in verse four why he changed the direction of his message from a message about the great common salvation to one to need to struggle for the truth. And that's verse four for this says this. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. There were people who slipped into the church that somehow weren't noticed. They just were part of the crowd. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turned the grace of our God into licentiousness. 
and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. There's the reason for a little conjunction tips it off for us. He changed the whole direction of what he was going to write them because there were people who came into the church among the believers that were unnoticed, just seemed like another one of them. And um, these people, they have been marked out for God's judgment from a long time ago. And they're characterized by two things. They take the grace of God and they use it as the excuse for their sin. They turn the grace of God into to a license. And uh, the second thing they know, about, they deny the Lord Jesus Christ and his authority. Then he goes on really from verses uh, five through 16 and he talks about this judgment that has come on false teachers in the past and the judgment that's gonna come upon these guys, how they're similar to them, and characteristics that describe more what they're like. And then we get down to verse 17. And he gives them a reminder. And uh, listen to what he says, verse 17 of Jude. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's calling back to mind of this church things they heard the apostles say before. That they were saying to you, in the last time, there will be mockers. Following after their own ungodly lust, these are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. What he's saying is that, you know what? The apostles warned us long ago that when we reach the end times, we're going to experience false teachers and people that mock at God and his authority and his word, and they create divisions within the church, and they actually, their thinking is more worldly-minded, built off the thinking of the world, than it's thought off of the thinking of the church. But then I love the change here in verses 20 on, as now he moves it from this warning and, and uh, the things we heard about and what these people are like and what they're going to get to us and how we're to respond in light of that. And when I say we, I'm trying to apply Jude to us as Moraine Valley Church, as he was telling them how they're to respond to this. So note, he starts in verse 20 through 21, things for themselves that they need to give attention to. And then we're gonna see in verses 22 through 23, how they are to minister to others in light of this. So note what he says here in verses 20. But you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. First thing you need to do, if you're going to deal with false teachers, you better know what the Word of God says. And build yourself up on the most holy faith. Second of all, praying in the Spirit. Josh invited us this morning to a prayer time here in um, the first week of October 
Talked about it last week. Not only we need to be praying. Who's your prayer partner that you're praying with regularly? We need to pray as a church. We need to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Be led by him and empowered by him. If we're going to survive in these kind of days. So first of all, we need to build ourselves up with the word of God. Second of all, we need to be praying in the Holy Spirit. Third of all, keep yourselves in the love of God. How do you do that? That's obedience. Uh, what, what did uh, Jesus say? If you keep my commandments, you will love me and the Father will love you. Um, this whole area of love and obedience, God's love language is obedience. And so when we talk about keeping ourselves in the love of God, we're talking about walking in obedience. So it isn't just getting this stuff in our heads but we gotta live it out in our lives. And then finally, the fourth thing we need to do is wait anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. We said this a few weeks ago. We look back at the salvation of what Jesus did for us at the cross, but we look forward to the salvation of Jesus and what he's gonna do when he returns and sets up his kingdom. So those are the four things that we learn in the book of Jude in the midst of false teaching we need to do is make sure that we know what the truth is in God's word. We need to be praying in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. We need to be obeying his truth and living it out. And we need to have our eyes locked on Jesus and his return. And then he talks about what do we do for others? So we just talked about what we need to do for ourselves and what they needed to do. What about our relationship and our ministry with other people? Well, we see that in verses 22 and 23. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And so we see a, a ministry to those who are doubting and we see a ministry to those who are lost. And we'll come back to that a little bit further in the message. I wanted to see it here in Jude. First of all, what do we need to do to follow Jesus faithfully in these times? Then we see what we need to do to impact others. You ever hear that before? Following Jesus is impacting others. See it right here in Jude. How are you going to follow Jesus? Filling yourself with the word and prayer and obedience and keeping your eyes locked on the return of Jesus. How are we going to impact others? We're going to have mercy on those that are doubting some that are lost that need to be saved and even a ministry on those who are so polluted that we need to walk carefully around them. But I gotta tell you guys, verses 24 and 25 excite me because I never saw it in this context before. I have claimed this promise so many times. But when I put it in the context of where it's at, it makes it even richer. Because I got to be honest, when I move to a series like we're moving into, I'm almost like, God, who am I? I'm just little Pat Peglo. I'm not sure this is my lane of expertise. So we move into a series on truth. 
God graciously gave me COVID so I could have a two-week study break to get ready for this series. But uh, this promise is amazing in its context of false teaching and the pressure it puts upon the individual in the church. Now listen to this. Now to him, speaking of Jesus, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. We've got a promise that in a time when truth is being flung to the ground and lies are beginning to dominate in our culture, that Jesus can keep us from falling to that. And to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. What a wonderful close to this book. <laughs> right in the midst of a time when that church, and I'm going to tell you a time when our culture <laughs> is loaded with teachings that are untrue to know that we have a promise that Jesus can keep us from stumbling in this time and to make us stand someday right in the presence of the glory of God with great joy and blameless. So this chapter is important to us for this reason. It's important because it really kind of explains why we're doing this series and gives us some guidance to the series as well. A series that we're calling, well, actually, it's a series about truth, but we're calling it Let's Get Real. Say, so why are you calling it that? Come back next week and you'll know why we're calling it Let's Get Real. A series on truth. And why are we doing this series? Let me take you back to verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, let me give you the modern day translation, the Pat Peglo translation. Beloved, while I was making every effort to preach to you about 2 Corinthians and the great salvation we have through Jesus and the indwelling Christ and the glorious ministry that we have because of it, that's what I was preparing to do but instead I felt a necessity to speak to Moraine Valley Church and appeal to you to contend earnestly to get into the struggle that we have for the once and for all handed down faith of the word of God. And let me say, where, where did that come from? Well, let me take you back to where that's, it actually started at a board meeting a few months back. Uh, speaking to our two uh, chairmen, Bob and John, about you know what do, our agenda, and one of the things we wanted to do was make sure we're well in touch with our culture and our people and where people are at, so our preaching doesn't just kind of, you know, life's over here and our preaching's over here and the two never meet. You understand what I'm saying? So we wanted to make sure, and so we actually used this verse from 2 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles, sorry, about the sons of Issachar. This is found in the genealogy 
But, you know, you just name, 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 name. Then all of a sudden, when you see a name that has a little bit extra after it, God's trying to emphasize that and tell us something. The men of Issachar understood the times. They knew what was going on in that time with knowledge of what Israel should do. We want to be like the men of Issachar. We want to understand our times and the world we're living in and how it's impacting our people and our church. And we also want to know what we should do in light of that. And that's where we have God's word. And the men of Issachar were like cultural experts and biblical experts. And they put the two together. I'm not an expert neither, but I feel like we need to go here. And so uh, as we talked about that, we asked Mike Locke, our youth pastor, who works with a lot of our young people, Mike, would you speak to it? Because you traffic real close daily uh, with what's going on. And Mike shared a time with our board that was eye-opening. It was one of those moments, it's like a bomb was dropped. We're like, whoa. And I remember going home that night and just thinking about the things I heard from Mike about what our young people are facing as they're walking in this world today in our culture. And I went to sleep thinking about it. And when I woke up in the morning, I just knew I need to do a series on truth. And like I figured it out, the Lord gives to his beloved even in their sleep, you know that. And all I know is I went home and I've been for months thinking 2 Corinthians and after that board meeting and hearing what Mike had to share, and I, went, I just woke up in the morning and knew. And that conviction's only grown stronger over time till we get to the place today where I believe that God wants us to do a series on truth. Why is that so important? Again, everything will not come out in today's message. You know, this is a series. Um, by the way, everything won't come out in the series because it's smarter than Pat is smart, but I'm gonna give you the best shot I got. And um, it's important because we learn that truth, or I should say that the battle for truth is an attack on the character and glory of God. You know, when we say Satan is the father of lies, that word is is important. It, it means ontological. It's a big word that I'm not sure I pronounced right. But what it means is it's the basic nature. It's the essence that makes somebody up. And so when we say Satan is the father of lies, his very nature, his very essence, the very thing that drives him and makes him who he is and what he does is a lie. And we say that God is truth. <laughs> the very nature, the very essence, the very makeup, the very stuff that drives God and everything that he does is truth. So what we find out here is ultimately this is a battle between God and Satan and we are the pawns in the battle. And Satan is trying to get those who are lost 
as well as even believers sucked into the lie and to control us and use us to further that. And God wants to sanctify us with truth so we can be instruments to further his glory. And we know that this battle on the truth began in the garden. Genesis chapter three. Did the Lord really say that? Then he twisted what the Lord said, took out of context what the Lord said, and from then on, we have felt the battle of Satan going against God's truth and trying to lead people away from the truth. And you know where that battle's going? We learned in Daniel chapter 8, verse 12, the little horn, who we know is the Antichrist, the one who is just the opposite, the Antichrist. He's the, everything Jesus is, he's just the opposite of. If Jesus is truth, he's all about the lie. If Jesus is holy, he's all about sin. You know, you can go on and on. The Antichrist, and we're going to a time when it says that he is going to fling truth to the ground, and he's going to do what he wants to do. Daniel chapter 8, verse 12. It's like taking a piece of paper, which is the truth, and cringling it up and throwing it to the ground so he can do what he wants to do. So it started in the garden. It's moving to this time of the Antichrist. And we are in the middle of those times. And by the way, I don't think when I say we're in the middle, I think we see as we evaluate our culture, understanding the times and understanding the scriptures, we are much closer to the time when Jesus is going to return and when the Antichrist is going to come on the scene. So I believe right now our world is being conditioned to accept the lie, the lies, and to crumble truth and throw it to the ground. And you know the scripture, another reason why, 22 of 27 New Testament books, I'm not talking about Old Testament, we see a lot of warnings about the uh, false prophets, 22 of 27 New Testament books warn us about false teachers directly. I didn't like you have to kind of wonder. I mean, it's, it's right there in your face. It's very clear. And you need to remember this about false teaching, about lies, about error. It isn't just bad teaching. It's not just wrong. We go, well, that's wrong. I'm right and you're wrong. Or, you know, that was bad and that's good. No, no, no. False teaching has a spiritual, demonic power attached to it, which keeps lost people lost and seeks to ensnare and mislead believers. So we need to get away from it's just bad teaching or he's just wrong. Um, false teaching and we're going to see the lies that are happening in this world are demonically powerful to destroy lives and marriages and families and churches and cultures. And we're seeing it happen right in front of us. So, but um, let, let me talk about a little guidance we get from Jude on this series. First of all, he said this in verse four. Remember the reason why he wrote to that church? He said, uh, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. You know what? 
I believe there's people who have crept in unnoticed. Not necessarily to Moraine Valley, but it could be. You know, so I'm not here to say I think there's somebody here. But it certainly has crept into our culture, crept into our schools, into our politics. I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. It's moved into our media. You know what? It has crept in so slowly and unnoticed that we all just kind of sit back going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're getting infected by a spiritually demonic lie that is seeking to destroy us and destroy our families. And so, yeah, I, the reason I'm doing this series is because what does Romans 12 say? It talks about don't be, I can't believe I'm forgetting this verse. Don't be squeezed into the mold of the world. I think I just quoted that terribly. But I think it's what it means is uh, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world put pressure on you so that now you think the way that they think. You see, that's my concern right now. My concern is the way the world thinks and the world's pressure that it's putting upon through many various different means upon the believer to try to get us to think the way the world thinks, which ultimately, who's the God of this world? Satan, the father of lies. So that world's gonna be dominated by lies. And so his desire is to squeeze us into his mold. And God's answer is be transformed. <laughs> Let your mind be transformed by the word of God. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. So where's the world trying to go right now? Where's it going? Um, starting in the mid-17th centuries was a thing called modernism. I'm going to talk about cultural eras right now. I'm going to take us back at the 30,000 foot level, okay? Because we'll come to the specifics as we go on in the series, but today as we look at a 30,000 foot level, and looking at cultural eras, we moved into an era, era from the Middle Ages that took us into what is called the Modern Age. Started around the time of the printing press and the rise of science. And what the modern era believed is that human thinking, they raised up and elevated human thinking and science above scripture. And they said that truth can only be found through man's reasoning and science. And they believed that they could answer every problem that's going on in the world at that time through human reason and science as they find these new truths. Well, with time, and I'm going to tell you why so many of us feel the struggle we feel right now. We feel it in the world we're living in. We feel it in many relationships. We're even seeking to be a multi-generational church, and we can even feel it at Moraine Valley. That there was centuries of modernism going on, and in the 60s or 70s, there's a change in the cultural era. So for hundreds of years, people, this is the way everybody thinks. Well, in the 60s, 70s, there was a reaction to modernism based on the fact you guys promised you were going to fix all the ills of the world. And guess what? The world's getting worse rather than better. 
We don't believe that human reason and science is the answer or the way to find truth. And so a thing called postmodernism, and all it means is this, it's the one after modernism, postmodernism, is the one after modernism where it's a response to the failure of modernism to provide what it promised. Now, the modern mind felt, and by the way, what I would say, some of the reason we're feeling the struggle, some of us were born and educated before the 60s and 70s, and some of us have been born after that time. You follow me? <laughs> so some have grown up totally in a whole different way of thinking than this group. Why is the world struggling so much the way it is right now? Why are the divisions so deep? Because it's a change in the way of thinking. And people before the 60s and 70s thought truth came this way. Afterwards, they believed that truth comes this way. And so the postmodern mind, they wrestle with truth in this respect. They're not even sure that truth exists. And if it does exist, it really can't be known. So they start with truth there. And when the Bible and God claim absolute truth and objective truth, what the, and we're going to go into that a little bit more in weeks to come, so you don't have to catch it all today. Let this be absolute truth means this. It's true for all people in all places at all times. It's universal truth that applies to everybody. And objective truth means it's something that's outside of me, uh, whether I like it, whether I believe it, whether I agree with it, whether I feel it. So there's this sense that uh, truth is objective, it's absolute, and exists. That's what we as believers believe. But instead, this postmodern who's questioning truth says, guess what? Truth is subjective. It's not objective. Truth starts in here. It's not out there someplace beyond me. Truth is dependent upon me, and now we hear the word construct truth. And so in many ways, like a uh, uh, construction guy builds something, we now, starting from the inside and what I believe and what I think subjectively, I construct truth, and to believe it's relative rather than absolute means this. It's dependent upon the circumstances. You can't tell me that all truth applies to all people at all times and all places. You gotta give exceptions for these circumstances for this person or the way they think in their conditions. So now all of a sudden truth is no longer true for everybody. It's dependent upon the circumstances that person has found, and that's called relative. And so the postmodern mind looks at truth in a whole different way. And I'm going to talk as us, because I'm going to tell you what, modernism was not God's model. <laughs> you know, to say that man's wisdom is better than the Bible and that science has all the answers. Modernism was, was not, is not God's answer, nor is postmodern. And we're going to see in a few weeks the comparison between God's truth, whether it be modern and postmodern. So that's what's happening in the world right now. 
And you can see a lot of the particulars that come out of that is the world is seeking to squeeze us into its mold. And in the last 50 years, actually there's theologians within the church that have been squeezed into the world's way of thinking. Now we're talking, you know, we talked about outside the church. Now I'm going to talk about inside the church because there's theologians that have bought into this way of thinking of the postmodern mindset. And uh, they, in turn, have impacted the church. And so when it comes to the way to think about truth, and since God is truth and his word is truth, it has to do with God and his Bible are at the center of the attack. And so we see that uh, these theologians who are being squeezed into the mold of the world's way of thinking is taking that way of thinking to the Bible and to God. And now they're starting to impact certain segments of the church regarding the theology. See, they believe in a thing called deconstructionism. What that means is this. Again, we'll come back to some of these words. It's a systematic questioning of long-held beliefs. And so what the postmodern mind does when it comes to truth is they are systematically questioning the long-term beliefs about the Bible and about God. And part of their desire is to make it consistent consistent with the human mind. In other words, the theology of the Bible's got to fit humanistic thinking. Humanistic thinking is man's best thoughts apart from God. It's man bringing his thoughts to the table. It's the best I got. So they're seeking to make our theology now consistent with the way this culture thinks to make it more acceptable. Because many of the key doctrines in the Bible are offensive and they feel because they're exclusive and they feel that they are unloving. And so these postmodern theologians are taking God's word and the person of God and redefining him and restructuring him in light of this to make Christianity more acceptable in our world today. Now, let me, let, me take, let me take a step to the side, a sidebar. This is important. whole nother message. We'll probably get to it, but I need to say it this morning. Um, I love Dr. Goddard, I believe, said this. Used to lead every class at Moody with God bless the school that D.L. Moody founded. But uh, I remember him saying this. Don, you remember that. I can see the smile. He said, truth will offend people. Just make sure it's the truth and not you. Guys, that's big. Because to be honest with you, the Bible does have exclusive claims. And the Bible claims things that are very offensive to people today and the way they're living. It's offensive because it puts the light upon the darkness in their life. And they're very exclusive because they say, yeah, your way is wrong and this is the only way. So truth is offensive. But make sure it's the truth that's offending people and not you. Because if you come with a judgmental, harsh spirit 
towards people. You have lost what we try to value here at Moraine Valley, grace and truth. And so you know what? These people are pawns in Satan's game whom we have to have some mercy upon as we saw later on in the text. And so to come at people unkindly, harshly, sarcastically, things like this is absolutely out of bounds for people who walk with Jesus. We're to bring love and truth together as one. We're to walk with grace and truth because guess what? God's glory is full of grace and truth. Not just truth, not just grace, but grace and truth. And at Moraine, we seek hard to try to walk with that kind of balance of grace and truth. So it's a side note because guess what, guys? What we're going to talk about, I hope that I'm speaking lovingly and graciously. I must speak passionately during this series because it's just, it's big. But uh, guys, you need to know the truths we proclaim are offensive and they are exclusive, but they're not unloving. They're not unloving. Um because they're full of the very glory and character and grace of God. So what are some of the key uh, doctrines that they're attacking today? The Bible. Why? Because the Bible has exclusive claims. It's the only way. It's the only truth. Claims to be absolute, applies to everybody and binding for everyone, is objective, isn't dependent upon your circumstances or anything like that, or even you or where you're at. And so you take on top of that, guess what? The Bible says other religions are wrong. And the Bible says other morality than what the Bible teaches is wrong. Now, the people who are living and thinking it, well, that's offensive. But it's true. It's what the Bible says. And we're going to look at, and I'll tell you in a minute, we're going to be looking about the Bible as truth. And so the Bible does make claims that are, to this culture, objectionable, offensive, in their mind, unloving, and exclusive. So the Bible, in their mind, is being reconstructed. As a matter of fact, there's a thing that was called the Jesus Conference back, I think it was in the 70s. And they went back through the Bible and decided with humanistic mind, man's best thoughts, which of these words can we really trust are really the words from God? And they came back with, I think it was 13% of the Bible they believe are only words from God. Matter of fact, I told Josh, he preached on the Lord's Prayer the other day. After the Jesus Conference dealt with uh, the Lord's Prayer, guess what the only two words that came out that survived as really being God's word? Our Father. Everything after that is questioned. We can't trust it. It's not truth because they took a humanistic mind that, you know, just goes at it in a postmodern, different way of looking at truth. That's what some of these liberal theologians have done. Second of all, they're looking for a more sexually friendly um, doctrine that includes all people with all their sexual beliefs not just a heterosexual marital sexuality. Again, we should not be ugly or an unkind or whatever to, to those who have different sexual practices, which the Bible say are very wrong. Um, but we certainly should move towards them, towards love and grace, but we don't celebrate 
or try to prove that their way is right morally. Um, but that's what these guys are doing. They're trying to reinterpret the Bible, cut out what doesn't apply in this sense, and say that uh, we need a sexual morality that is more consistent with the world. The cross. Actually, some have called the cross cosmic child abuse. What father would ever murder his son? And so the cross is looked at as offensive. God's wrath, the, the fact that God would be a wrathful God, that's offensive. That's unloving. So what they do is all the passages that deal with that either aren't really scripture or they work hard to redefine those and give those a different interpretation. Miracles. Miracles are impossible to the humanistic mind. Therefore, miracles aren't a part of scripture. Those are just fairy tales or illustrations to try to uh, encourage us to something. And the gospel is moved from Jesus being the savior of a sinful man that could never be saved apart from Jesus' work on the cross to Jesus being an example for the rest of us that really aren't that bad, but we should be a little bit better and we need to start doing good works and get more involved in doing those things. So Jesus has moved from a savior to an example of what a loving person lives like. You see, that is, that, that's kind of what's going on today. Yeah, it's not going on at Moraine, uh, but that's what's going on in the world and in the larger church. And let me tell you, so that's just why, why are you doing this, Pat? Because people have crept in. As we said a few weeks ago, they've crept into the schools and trying to teach your kids some of these things. And the list goes on and on. But both the world and the church have been creeping in. And th th I'm going to tell you the goal of the series. My goal is not to change the way the world thinks. Listen close. My goal is not to change the way the world thinks. I believe the Bible too much to, to, to believe that. Because if the Bible really says we're moving towards a time where the enemy is flinging truth to the ground, that's part of God's sovereign plan. And so my goal is not to change the way the world thinks and change, you know, save the world. A Pat Peglo series might go on the internet and explode and everybody in the world sees it and there's a worldwide repentance and now we're starting over again. No, but I do see this, look back at the text and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and some have mercy with fear, hitting even the garment polluted by the flesh. You see, I, my, my goal of this series is this, to help Christians know how to navigate and stand in a world that's seeking to try to squeeze them into the mold. Follow me? I want us as believers to know how we can navigate these times, 
what the scriptures say, wisdom dwells in the heart of him who has understanding. The better we understand what we're living in and how it's going on, the wiser we can be. I want us to be wise. I want us to know how to navigate these days. I want us to be able to stand without the enemy taking us down. But we also want to impact others. We want to follow Jesus faithfully, but we also want to impact others. And according to this passage, what he told that church, and I believe what God is telling you and me today, that there are some who are doubting now because of the false teaching that has impacted their life. And we need to have mercy on them and help them. There are others who are lost because of the false teaching that's caused them to totally deny this book or false teaching within the church that presents a different gospel. And they're lost and God wants to use us to snatch them out of the fire. And then there are still some, we have to have mercy on with fear. And I was, hey, be as, you, as you walk around them, these guys are dangerous spiritually and morally. And be careful as you minister to them that you don't get sucked into the same place. Remember we talked a little bit ago about a circuit that God gives all of us. I think rather than trying to change the world, we need to start focusing on changing our world on the circuit that God has placed us on, the relationships, the groups, the people. So yeah, there's people I encounter every day that some I need. God wants to use me and he wants to use you and he wants to use Moraine to make an impact. But our goal shouldn't be to try to change the way the world thinks, but to save some of those who God's working in and drawing to himself to make responsive. That's where we need to be. And yes, we do need to speak up in our school boards and in our different places so we can make an impact in the circuit where we're at in the groups. And we need to work together so our impact can even be larger in the circuit of where God has put Moraine Valley Church. But our goal for this series is much like this book. I want to help Christians navigate it. I want Christians to stand, and I want us to have an impact on others as we walk. So where are we going in this series? We're going to start with defining truth next week. And uh, if we're going to talk about a series of truth, we've got to know what truth is. We throw that word around. The world throws it around. What is truth? Then after we define it, we're going to take a look at the world's way of looking at truth and see if we can better understand it and its implications upon us. And since the Bible claims to be the truth, and we're building our life off of this book, we want to see what does the Bible say about itself with truth, and is it intellectually credible for us to put our faith in it? Then finally, we're going to close with this, the church's task. God has committed to the church, again, not to Pastor Pat, not to the elders at Moraine Valley, to every person here, every true believer, the task of contending for the faith because according to Timothy, the church is the pillar and the support of truth in this world. Why are they going to attack the, the church? Because the church is God's pillar and support for truth in a world where Satan is working, where he just wants us to take that book, crumble it up, and throw it to the side and give my best thoughts of what I think needs to be done. Finally, we saw it already. 
say this quickly. How do we stand? We need to contend for the faith. You know what, guys? If you think this is a day at a picnic where I can sit on the sidelines and just let everybody else do this, you're going to get sucked in because the cultural current is too strong. There's no way you can passively sit by and not get sucked in because it's like a tidal wave that has come upon us. And guess what? The tidal wave comes in a big way and it gets on the beach and it keeps moving and moving. It grabs everybody sitting there on the beach and sucks them in. And brothers and sisters, the cultural current is too big and too strong to sit on the sidelines. What happened to David when all the other kings went out to battle and King David stayed home? That's when his whole sin with Bathsheba started because he should have been out in the battle, but instead he was home and he got involved with Bathsheba and consequences for him and his family that, that deeply impacted so what's the first thing? We got to get in the battle, guys. You can go, you're like me. This is too big. It's smarter than me. It's strong, man. Yeah, but guess what, guys? This is what we got to do. First of all, build yourself up so you know what the truth is in the most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit, trusting God to give you everything you need. Obey his word. Don't just learn it in your head. Make it a part of your life. And finally, lock your eyes on the return of Jesus. There's hope. There's light at the end of the tunnel and that'll keep us going. And then I love the promise at the end. How are we gonna stand in these days? How am I gonna keep from falling? Jesus. Jesus, as I depend upon him, he's able to keep me from stumbling in this cultural current and to make me stand even someday before Jesus and be able to stand there blamelessly and joyfully in his presence because Jesus is the one who can keep you and me from stumbling and make us stand in this day. Guys, I know I sounded very serious today because this is very serious. This is a deep burden. Hope you can bear with us and be at this series maybe one of the most important series I've ever preached or ever will preach. And those that have ears to hear, let them hear. So Father, I do pray. I do pray, Lord, that uh, I pray, God, we need your Holy Spirit. We need Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus to transform the way we think. We need, as you say in Proverbs, wisdom dwells in the heart of him who has understanding. Lord, we need your understanding of the times we're living in, like the men of Issachar, and we need to know your word so we know what to do in these days. And Father, I'm gonna be the first to admit, who am I for that task? Lord, I'm too small. And Lord, my brothers and sisters, I'm sure feel the same, but I want to thank you that Jesus is able to keep us from stumbling and to make us stand. And so, Lord, we're, we're declaring our dependence upon you as a church and as individuals, Lord, that you would grant us every grace we need to not only stand to be faithful in following you, but to impact others who need the mercy of God in their lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.